Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. I hope you are having such a wonderful day. It is a beautiful day in Southeast Colorado. Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge, show number 42 and enjoying a a wild ride here with all these wonderful guests like uh, Peter we have today. Hey, keep in mind, this is a worldwide audience. I never dreamed of that, that I'm doing U.S. taxes, but people around the world, Canada, Sweden, even China like to listen to this. I don't know why, but hey, I just say thank you. Also, keep in mind, you can listen to this on whether you're on iHeart, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And then there's so much subjects in the tax world we discuss here. We really enjoy having you. And of course, all who listen to this podcast are welcome to uh, request a free mutual exploration session to see if our services are good for you. It's all, you can always email me. You can email me during the show as well at success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Uh, the phone number is 844-394-4287 to call in and schedule a time with us. Or of course, you can always visit cashtracksfinancial.com to be able to uh, use our little scheduling platform and schedule your appointment to come and see us. But as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to have Peter Mitchell. He's an enrolled agent because we're going to talk about selecting a business entity, legal, and I'm going to stress the word legal tax avoidance, as well as help to audit proof your business. Just a little bit about Peter here today. He's with the Tax Pro Advisor. He leads that as an enrolled agent, 20 years in the business, advising business owners and representing taxpayers before the IRS. It's great to represent taxpayers before the IRS because taxpayers just plain need it. He does one-on-one attention with debt as a dedicated and trusted advisor, as a federally authorized tax practitioner, which is what an enrolled agent is. That's helping clients obtain financial relief through tax representation and with the IRS, as well as state tax authorities when needed. Of course, he's in Texas, which means he doesn't have state income tax, but there's other tax things you can have to deal with the, the Department of Revenue down there for, as well as working with business and individual clients to maximize tax savings through tax planning, understanding understanding key financial information, and of course, always remaining compliant with state taxes, which is just like what I try to do, do here as well with one's help, one's to stay tax compliant so that they can avoid uh, having to have that representation. But Peter's one that can definitely help ones with that should they need that. Uh, as well as he's a member of, of associations such as the Tax Rep Network, the uh, National Association of Enrolled Agents, oh, the Texas Society of Enrolled Agents, as well as the National Association of Tax Professionals, some uh, associations that we both share there. It's great to see you today, Peter. So how's everything going today for you, Peter? It's going great, Marcelino. Thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Well, I take it as my pleasure to have you on here because it's just always nice to reach out and to talk and just to get a little bit more insight and to help the listeners here have a little bit more insight on various subjects because as we were talking about before the show in the tax arena there's just no way you've been doing this for 20 years i've been doing this for 20 plus years that we can know everything about every little thing but each of us together come together it can work out very well 
So that's why we're going to touch on several little topics today. Like in, we talked about entities and businesses. So just to get your information here, why when a person goes and starts a business, see one thing you've probably had this happen is that a person comes to you says, oh, I'm starting a business. Either they come to you at tax time and say, well, I started a business last year. Or they're coming to you and saying, well, I started the business. I talked to my banker and I talked to my attorney and they gave me this information, but then they didn't come talk to you as the tax professional. And, and it's like, wow, wait a minute, maybe you should have done this instead of this. Did you, does your attorney or your banker uh, advise you? Did they tell you to go talk to a tax person? Probably not, which is what I encounter all the time. Because as you know, and as we're going to talk about here, entity selection is very important. So I want to go ahead and get your, your take then on why when you're starting a business, first of all, is the entity selection so important? Right. Well, it's really important um, in the beginning because uh, it kind of gives you, you know, you have a, a different ways to kind of be proactive to um, Get, it, get in front of any potential issues as opposed to kind of trying to play catch up. Um, there are essentially, you know, two different areas. One of them you kind of mentioned, the maybe the, the legal uh, aspect or the, the liability concerns that a business might have. Um, another really important one that a lot of clients come to me about is their tax, you know, what are the tax implications mm-hmm. of, um, you know, what type of entity they're selecting. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are very important there because I've, I've, I've had clients come to me and say, well, I started a business last year. I, I went and did an LLC. And cause that seems to be like, I will just say the entity of the moment that everybody wants to be is an LLC, but yet they don't always recognize the tax differences between a single person LLC and a multi-person LLC. At least that's what I encounter a lot because I had a client a couple of years ago come in and say, oh, I started this. I'm like, uh, did you, did you know this? And I bring up the tax room they look at me and give me that look and say, uh, no, I didn't know that. I'm like, well, if you'd have come and asked me, I would have explained all of that to you because now not only do you have this tax return, this tax return that goes to your tax return. Now you need to, anyway, it's a big mess, but anyway, that, I guess, I mean, that's why we get paid to fix those things. So then as we come back to this, then, then Peter, so how do you help or how does a business owner select the proper entity? I mentioned LLCs, but that isn't necessarily the best entity for, for whatever they're going to do. So how does, how does that selection process go through? What do you do, what do, you do there? Right. So, well, so first, some of the things I look at, I ask, you know, how long have they been in business? Um, is this a brand new uh, enterprise? Is this something they've been doing for a while? I like to know if, this is possibly just something they're trying out. You know, it's kind of a side uh, business while they're working during the day, uh, working for an employer. Um, or are they, you know, are they fully capitalized? Are they able to, you know, go all in with this? Um, have they got it to a point where they have to make a decision? Um, do I keep doing my day job or do I devote my time to this business because it's really growing and, and uh, becoming more profitable? So um, the reason I like to know that is because it, it will kind of guide the process of what kind of entity, um, you know, how they structure themselves. Uh, some, some of the different types of ways you can structure um, 
you know, the more sophisticated you get, the more complex it is uh, to keep it, uh, to maintain it, as well as to kind of get out of it if things don't work out if a business, if you, you know, if you decide to go a different direction. So, so those are, those are some of the reasons and also depends on the state, you know, what mm-hmm. state does the business operate in or states um, because every state has their own set of rules and laws concerning the governance of the entity, because that's where you register, you register at the state level. Um, the, the tax issues also span federal tax, state tax, and sometimes local taxes. So we, so we have to look at all those different things, and there's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all for every business. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing definitely being in the tax business. We know not, it's definitely not one-size-fits-all. So how does the FARC, you talked about a little bit about a lot of that thing, but some other considerations here is possible. How, how many owners will be involved? How does that come in? Right. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned a little bit earlier, if you if you're if you have, I, I do get a lot of people coming to me, and they've already registered as an LLC, and so I will, I'll ask them. I'll ask, well, how many members are there? How many owners are there going to be involved with this? Um, because there are some default um, tax treatments based on the number of owners. You don't necessarily have to stick with that default tax treatment, but it's important to know what it is so that if you need to make a special election to be treated differently because that doesn't line up with what how you want to be taxed, then, mm-hmm. um, then you need to try to make those choices um, as soon as possible. Um, there are some, uh, you know, the IRS does, for example, allows some late uh election treatments for different types of entities. Um, but in general, it's always great if you can identify some of those things right from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And that's, it's the beginning and that's, that's where we try to educate people from the beginning to try to help them do that because at least my preference is to have them come in and come in even before they, they do the registration with the state. <laughs> That'd be the ideal thing is to have them come in, but they don't always, they don't always do that there because that's really when they need it. Not, not, not afterwards. Cause usually we're kind of trying to just help pick up and do after the fact, but maybe whatever they selected at the state level wasn't necessarily the best choice. So, so exactly. then as we, yeah. So then you also mentioned about okay, how does the capital or financing come into place when it comes to selecting the entity? Well, depending on what, um, you know, what kind of business it is, for example, I have a client who is in residential construction Mm -hmm. and um, they're often looking for construction financing. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way that whether they're looking for financing at, uh, you know, at the business level or on the individual level, or maybe a combination of those two, um, the, 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 ty- the way that you're, you're set up could uh, affect that. There's um, um, those, those types of questions can definitely be, uh, you know, help dictate or determine what kind of entity selection a person wants to go with. Um, and, and obviously it's kind of connected to the type of product or service that they're planning to, mm-hmm. to provide. Mm-hmm. 
And and on the product or service that they're going to provide there, uh, what uh, what kind of like product or service have you used when they when they come to you and then they do that? How do you use that to determine the type of entity and help them making that determination there of what they're going to do? Well, so I have, for example, I have a client who recently. Um, who is a, a licensed healthcare professional. And um, as a result of being a licensed healthcare professional, that, that kind of triggers some specific, you know, uh, either requirements or um, considerations on how they want to get structured because they have some unique, uh, maybe liability concerns uh, specific to their type of profession. Um, there may also be some other limitations on how they can structure. They may not be allowed to structure one way or another. So, um, so the type of product service or, you know, uh, licensed professional uh, business that you're dealing with uh, can, you know, take you down a specific path when the, you know, when you're looking at those types of things. Um, I'm trying to think of another example. I mentioned the construction. I, I have another person, a, a prospective client who is a real estate professional, you know, who's kind of just recently gotten into selling real estate and is having a good year so far this year. And um, spouse is a W-2 employee. And generally, most of the federal tax withholdings are sufficient to cover taxes on the self-employment income. But she's worried this year may not be uh, sufficient. And uh, what's going to happen? Does she need to start, you know, paying quarterly taxes or, uh, you know, and then we get that, that also takes us right into that conversation about, well, how are you structured? Have you formed an LLC? Have you, you know, set up a variety of other different types of entities yet? Um, and, uh, you know, if they haven't done anything, then that kind of gives us a clean slate or, you know, if, if they're just operating as a sole proprietor, which is kind of the default, if you've done nothing mm-hmm. to register a business, then, uh, then that's generally what you are as a sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so one of the common things that I've encountered and seen is uh, people that are like in rentals. They have a lot of rental houses, two or three people that come and they come together and do rental houses there. And is it you, you, and oftentimes that's where, at least what I've read and from the study I've done, oftentimes if you're going to do rentals, often, uh, and you're a multi person, you're doing multiple people doing it, uh, usually it's structuring it as an LLC is a, is a good idea because if it's just a general partnership, then you're getting other, into, other legal potential issues is that would you be in agreement with that am i on the right track there with that i I think so yeah i mean on that's that type of uh, if if that's an actual business i mean sometimes you have to look at whether or not um it's considered a an active you know business activity or Mm -hmm. um more of a passive investment type of thing um but those those types of things, you know, for example, with a, um, a rental property type business where you're purchasing property, renting it out, um, it's very important to understand uh, how not just the current year-to-year income mm-hmm. and and expense allowances are handled, but also you know, how are you taxed if you sell a property? How are you taxed mm-hmm. if you decide to switch 
structures from, for example, if you set up as an S corporation, there could be some very big uh, tax consequences involved when you go to sell that appreciated real estate. So um, it's, it's important with the type of business, the type of product service um, that is, is going to be offered that um, you kind of look at not just, you know, the beginning, but try to look at, you know, what would the exit strategy be? Or, you know, sometimes you can't always predict what the, the future is going to look like. Um, so you try to make some solid, you know, estimate estimates of that um, and uh, kind of operate within that, mm-hmm. within that structure. Yeah. Now, sometimes too, what people don't realize when they go in the structure, and especially when they come together and they form that multi-person LLC, uh, the, the LLC members, and I've seen this happen, they don't realize that they're a partnership by default in the tax system. And then they come in and then they start taking payroll. It's like, uh, and they just start. it's one of the, and I've, I've had to play catch up on some of these things and others I've, I've caught them right at the beginning so we can do, do the proper deals there. So have you had to work with some, 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 in, some companies like that who perhaps started with the partnership and then uh, with the default partnership and then needed to make the election to like when some cases I've done LLCs elected to be taxed as S corps there. Have you had to deal with some of those issues as well in, in yeah. first entities? Yes, I have. Um, oftentimes with the kind of the default partnership um, arrangement, oftentimes it's a husband and wife that have started a business and are operating it jointly. And, um, by de- by textbook definition, that's that's a partnership, and sometimes that may not really be how they want to to operate it. Um, you get into some different uh, areas uh, of both from a legal nature as well as a taxation nature that may not be as favorable. And so, like I said a, a little bit earlier, you're not always stuck with the default classification. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be alternatives that are more favorable to what, what um, you know, how you're operating and how you plan to, to do things in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, in some businesses, I know some, I've had a couple people come together. They were, they operated as sole proprietors for years, but then they decided, well, let's get together. Let's, let's form an LLC. And their immediate thought was, oh, great. We, we don't have to deal with the self-employment tax thing anymore. I'm just grateful at the right, like right at the beginning, they came, they came in and talked to me because I'd been doing other business with them. Uh, and I said, well, you know, you, you, you can't be on payroll. They're like, what, 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 what? That's why we formed this. I'm like, well, no, you can't be on payroll, but this is, and this is why. And I gave them the explanation that your partnership by deferral, but they says, well, but then this is the way you can be on payroll. They're like, okay. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's really what they wanted. They wanted all the withholdings they wanted all that so they don't have to deal with the estimated taxes and everything and so certainly uh that's where that can having the proper tax consultation as you select your entity and begin your business is important which is why i like talking about this because people you've encountered this because and i've mentioned this so many times on this program that people will go talk to their banker they'll go talk to their attorney but the tax person is always the last one to know and that's probably the first one that should have known (laughs) What they're De- doing definitely yeah tax advisors should definitely be involved uh along with those other professionals um as part of that overall um kind of network of uh people who are kind of helping you decide on 
um, how you want to do things. One, one of the very common approaches, uh, especially like if you take somebody who's been just operating as a sole proprietor um, and uh, they're looking for ways to maybe save on taxes or, you know, structure it so that they're not um, stuck with such a big, such a large tax bill when it comes April 15th of each year um, is to form an LLC, uh, which kind of gives you some of the the best of the limited liability aspects. Once again, it kind of depends on what state you're operating in, but, but the, I'm just kind of speaking in generalities. Um, form an LLC, a single owner, which as we mentioned, by default, that's going to have a sole proprietor tax treatment. So, so far, we really haven't done anything to, um, to really change how that person's getting taxed. Uh, that's just kind of step number one. Next step is to actually make an election to be treated as an S corporation for income tax purposes. So at the state registration level and for liability reasons, they are registered as an LLC for income tax purposes and tax treatment with the uh, federal government, they're being treated as an S corporation. And that provides some different income tax benefits. Um, it also comes with some uh, different costs to be aware of. It also comes with some different um, requirements that are important to understand uh, you know, prior to, to making, that, making that election. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, sometimes I've had it happen where an individual and I've went, well, actually husband, wife, we're back to the husband, wife, is that they they formed a an LLC, uh, and then realize and then they realize it's a multi, ends up being of course partnership by default. But then they realize it's like wait a minute, that's not really what we wanted. Maybe we should just be maybe the husband should just be a single person LLC. There, uh, has have you ever? Is there some type of conversion or a process that that to make it easy to go from in that case a husband and wife LLC? partnership down to just a sole proprietor LLC? Is there a easy process for that or can, can they do that? Well, that that can definitely be done. I mean, there's really not anything I can think of off the top of my head that can't be undone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, but, you know, setting things up incorrectly or, you know, some of the decisions you make can, there can be some different costs involved if you decide you want to unwind something or mm-hmm. untangle something that you started. So uh, it, it's very helpful if you can kind of do things the right way, right from the beginning. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, in that type of a situation, um, probably um, changing, you know, changing the ownership on the LLC at the, with the state, that might be one thing to do, just remove the, the secondary owner that's mm-hmm. really not going to be involved in the business. And then that, that essentially now puts it back into a single member LLC, which, um, you know, either enables the, the owner and operator to function as mm-hmm. a sole proprietor or to make some other type of entity classification mm-hmm. uh, election. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then since the IRS has gotten the 1065, what is we we go in and then we just say, okay, well, this is like the final 1065, and then just file it as a sole proprietor after that. Probably right. You're gonna yes, you're gonna have to um, 
file whatever return you're required to file for the year mm-hmm. because oftentimes I'm learning about these types of these very types of situations after the fact. So the year is already over. Mm-hmm. We're, we've started a new year. Um, so we may actually have to file that 1065, which is a partnership income tax mm-hmm. return for the year that has already come and gone, and then um, file a part a, a short a short year uh, mm-hmm. return to um, you know and to mark it as final with the mm-hmm. IRS, so that they're not looking for a future partnership tax return. Um, and then, like I said, there's probably some different remedies that need to be taken at the state level mm-hmm. to ensure that the registration is is um, mm-hmm. corrected to match up with how the person wants to be taxed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you might end up with having to file a couple different types of business returns uh, for that year that you're making those changes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's... That's, uh, those are good strategies. Those are good, just good things to know, because as we know, we need to go in and fix things. And sometimes clients just need our help to fix them. And that's, um, that's one of those areas where we definitely need to help them. And where clients need to know people that listening to this need to know is that yes, things can be fixed. It's just going to cost you a little bit, but yes, they can be fixed. So off of the, uh, oh, one last thing about business location. It says, how does the business location help come into our entity selection? Well, as I mentioned earlier, it's um, really the state that you're located in okay. is, is one of the biggest uh, considerations. And then, of course, if you're planning to operate in any other states, typically, especially if you're registered with your domestic state, your domestic meaning the state where you reside and um, it is the origin of your business. If you're planning to do business in other states, you may be required to register in those states as what is called a foreign entity, meaning that it's foreign to the state where you're located. So um, that can have some big implications and be something very important, especially if you're in any type of a retail business, any business that is uh, subject to sales tax in the state that you're um, operating in. Um, you know, those are some really big considerations too. Sales tax is a whole other uh, area that could kind of guide some of this, some of this thought process and structuring process. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, definitely consider where you are and that's where kind of the legal advice comes in, making sure you talk to the attorneys to make sure what, what the requirements are for your particular state and then match up the tax part, the entity selection up with that exactly what you're going to do there. So now let's uh, talk into the next area that we are going to talk about today, which is strategies or for tax avoidance. And we're talking legal things you can do uh, to have or to reduce taxes there. So what's, what's, what in this area are you wanting to really get into so we can uh, minimize taxes for people? Right. So when we're talking about taxes, we're really talking about how to we can try and minimize income taxes and possibly also minimize some of the complexity involved with um, getting hit with a big tax bill uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, on the filing deadline each year. So um, first of all, I think it's important to distinguish the difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion, okay? Mm -hmm. One is legal and one is not. (laughs) Tax (laughs) avoidance is legal. And, you know, 
what we strive to do is to uh, minimize taxes within um, legal parameters with, you know, to the extent that the law allows for that. Um, and then obviously tax evasion is for people who are just trying to um, evade their taxes and they end up like Al Capone, right? So uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to do the, the, the legal minimizing of, um, you know, with tax avoidance strategies. The, um, you know, that, that's, that's essentially part and parcel of the whole entity selection process, going back to um, mm -hmm. the common approach that I was talking about, which is, uh, you know, you have a person who's maybe been operating as a sole proprietor for some period of time, and um, their business is growing, and they're, they feel like they're just paying a lot of taxes, and that's, that's maybe, uh, well, that, that's just creating problems in different ways for them. Um, there, there are some legal ways to uh, reduce your tax burden. And then also there's other ways to kind of spread that burden out throughout the year so that you're not, you know, coming up with a, having to write a big check. Um, the, uh, so, so the LLC for the sole proprietor registering as an LLC and then um, making an election with the IRS to treat it as an S corporation um, generally speaking, that's always best to do that from a timing standpoint, try to do that at the, at the beginning of a year, but not everybody, you know, is able to time things that perfectly to say, okay, on January 1st, here's everything's all lined up and, and perfectly set up. So fortunately there are some, um, uh, revenue procedures that allow a business to make an election after January 1st and, um, but to essentially treat it retroactively as having been an S corporation, as long as they have been operating as such and they have a reasonable, uh, they have a reasonable cause for not having made that election. Um, sometimes, for example, uh, you mentioned at the beginning how somebody maybe has talked to their, their lawyer or attorney and and they are they got set up they got set up as an llc and and maybe there was discussion about this s corporation election but the attorney didn't actually prepare that form and get that submitted to the irs um so right now when a client walks in to talk to me uh they've got an llc but they're not an s corp and um there might have been a probably was a reference to, you know, finding a tax advisor to help them with, mm -hmm. <laughs> with that. But, um, you know, now maybe a year has gone by and mm -hmm. um, the whole time they thought they were operating as an S corp and they're not, at least not mm -hmm. technically speaking. So, um, so we have to make that, we have to get that cleaned up and, and make mm -hmm. that correction. Mm -hmm. But ultimately uh, to get back to the, the, the uh, topic of, you know, tax avoidance, um, through that type of an approach, person's able to uh, minimize their taxes by um, potentially eliminating some of the self-employment tax that they're typically um, subject to as a sole proprietor. Um, an S corporation is only, well, first of all, it, um, the S corporation itself does not pay any taxes. Um, unless maybe there's some state tax, uh, there can be maybe a franchise tax or an LLC tax involved, uh, depending on where you're operating. But um, it's considered what is called a flow-through entity. And so what that means is that the profits from that business 
flow through to the individual shareholders and owners. Um, if you just have a single owner, then that means 100% of the profits are being reported on that owner's individual 1040 tax return, um, which is only subject to ordinary income tax based on whatever income tax rate that individual is subject. Um, so that will depend on you know, their filing status, dependents, other deductions that they may have. Um, so it's not necessarily a fixed rate for, for everybody. Um, it's it's going to depend on their individual tax rate. The um, So how do you get around um, paying some of the self-employment tax? Well, um, as you when you file that S-corporation, you are expected to pay yourself what is considered a reasonable mm -hmm. uh, salary or reasonable compensation um, based on your involvement in helping to, you know, um, run the business, operate the business, um, and all of those types of things. Typically with a sole proprietor, they're doing everything. They're wearing all the hats. Um, not always, but sometimes that's the case. And so it is important to um, look at, you know, profitability on a, on a routine basis, um, generally probably at least month, uh, quarterly, possibly on a monthly mm -hmm. basis, and make sure that you're paying yourself enough as an employee of the mm -hmm. business, which um, is going to be subject to um, your, you know, the, the, the self-employment tax, essentially, which is mm -hmm. composed of your, your Medicare and Social Security taxes, mm -hmm. both on the employer and the employee side. Um, so you're, you're still paying it at that uh, on whatever you're paying yourself as an employee. Anything outside of that, though, so let's just say, for example, there's, um, uh, let's say before deducting officer compensation, there's a $200,000 profit for the year. And uh, let's say that the owner has paid themselves, um, you know, $100,000 in uh, as an employee. Well, there's still that 100000 So we subtract that and that leaves $100,000 of profit that's now going to flow through to the owner's tax return. That is only subject to the ordinary income tax. None of the other self-employment tax uh, applies to that. So that's, that's, that can be a huge savings for people. Um, also, just as a side note, um, I have found going back to kind of the questions about financing, um, obtaining loans and things, oftentimes it very, it really is quite beneficial for somebody, especially like if they're seeking to purchase a home and get home financing, to have a W-2 uh, income mm -hmm. versus uh, self-employment income. Um, sometimes, it, for some reason, the banks just, the lenders, they, they like to see a W-2. It just, for them, it, it, it gives them the warm fuzzies or whatever. But um, <laughs> if, even though it may not really make any difference in terms of the period, how, how often a person's getting paid. But, um, you know, so things, things like that can also be helpful. It helps to kind of spread out that tax mm -hmm. liability because those taxes should, should be getting paid as you go mm -hmm. on whatever you're paying yourself as, as an officer. And then, of course, mm -hmm. you need to do some estimated tax planning on, on whatever the net profitability is going to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so you can project that. And then from there, you start to I try to identify what are some other possible strategies that could be employed to avoid paying a lot in taxes. Okay. Yes. Now, of course, that avoiding paying taxes, sadly, whereas corp 
officers get themselves into trouble is by underpaying their wage, not giving themselves a reasonable compensation. And I've, I mean, I've seen, I've read various uh, stories and co- about court cases of ones who pay themselves a minimum wage and took out a huge distribution of profits. But and that seems to draw the attention of the IRS because uh, in vast majority of those cases, these distributions get reclassified as wages. And then they have all the other stuff. So if it's a great, it's a great strategy to use, but you got to use it right. And you got to use the right amount of, of reasonable compensation as an officer. Just don't, just don't, say, well, I want to save that. Well, you know, it's one of those things you're better off paying yourself, at least the social security, because what most people don't realize is that the self-employment tax, which you need, which you need to pay anyway. And then as an S corp officer, which I think that's really great. What people need to do is you need to pay yourself a reasonable wage because that calculates into how much social security you're going to get. And so you need to be paying that reasonable wage regardless of the tax because it's going to at least benefit you down the road. You just can't think of now, which is which is we as tax professionals, we don't just think of now. We think of later. You as the client later on, we want you to not just benefit now, but have a benefit later as well, which is part of the reason why it's good to make some of these elections and have these discussions that way going down the road, we're helping you as a client to be able to, to do better well later and not just now there. At least that's, that's what, what I encourage and I see a lot what I like about a lot of tax professionals that are looking not just at the now, but at the later as well, because that's the long-term view I take. And I think you do that as well, Peter, and in, in looking long-term for your client, not just what can we get them this year, but let's try to help them down the road with these. Absolutely. Uh, one of the thoughts I have in, in connection with what you just stated there, Marcelino, is that um, sometimes based on the cyclical nature of a business, it might be a little bit difficult to actually like say, well, I can pay myself you know, X number of dollars every two weeks or every month. Um, so what I try to do with a lot of my clients is to say, how much could you, you know, what is the, what is kind of at least the minimum that you know you could like put yourself on this salary and say, okay, I can at least pay myself that every month. Um, I mean, they may, they may say, well, I have to get, I have, I need at least that much money just to make my mortgage payment or whatever. So, um, so, you know, we try to at least find some kind of a baseline Mm -hmm. where we can at least be, um, consistent. And then, like I said, with kind of reevaluating maybe on a monthly or quarterly basis, where, where their profitability stands. Like, for example, you take a, um, a real estate professional who, you know, may have months without any income and then suddenly closes mm-hmm. on multiple sales on mul- multiple listings and has some big commission checks coming in. Well, obviously we kind of have to annualize those mm-hmm. checks, meaning we have to kind of spread it out over the whole year. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we might, you know, be able to pay something, uh, c- some kind of a minimum amount each month and then say, okay, well, here's a big check that came in. How much of that should you pay yourself as maybe a bonus or, or um, you know, ad- as a off-cycle payroll? And, uh, and that can really help a business owner to kind of stay on top of that so they're, they're not getting 
um, too far behind and maybe waiting until the end of the year when, um, you know, we're looking at the profitability and suddenly they need to write themselves a check for a, a substantial amount of money just to basically, basically meet some of those reasonable compensation concerns. Yes, definitely there. So, yeah. So, yeah, let's move now on to the next portion of what we're going to discuss today about audit proofing a business here, which actually all the areas that we've talked about already kind of go toward that, but then there's even some further steps there. So let's uh, go in a little bit more, Peter, about what exactly do we mean by audit proofing a business? Well, so we've already kind of touched on this subject. Uh, One of them is to evaluate and to identify what, um, you know, what requirements you have as a business owner um, to, to meet whatever your tax obligations are based on how you're set up. Um, if, for example, um, you do decide that uh, making that S-Corp election is going to be the best uh, tax treatment for you and your business, then you do need to be paying yourself some kind of a reasonable compensation throughout the year or, or at least at some point during the year. And, um, and that's an important aspect because that's definitely something that the IRS has targeted as uh, a potential abuse of, of doing an S-corp election. Um, but there's also other things as a business owner, you know, how do we estimate your, how do we even estimate your profitability if we don't know what it is? So there has to be some kind of a systematic approach to keeping track of your income and expenses and knowing, you know, where you stand. I think this is not just important from a tax standpoint and, and, you know, trying to minimize and reduce the risk of either being audited or having a substantial change as a result of an audit. Um, But it's also important as a business owner to know where you stand profit-wise, that you're not just kind of, um, you know, more or less uh, uh, going from, from one paycheck to another or maybe falsely thinking that you're doing really well when actually you haven't really accounted for what your tax your tax mm-hmm. liability is going to be on that. So, um, so part so part of that um, concept of audit proofing is making sure that you have a good set of of books in order, where you know you have your bank accounts are reconciled each month. You're able to, you know, have all the expenses associated with your business um, properly uh, categorized, and you know it all rolls up into a nice looking, beautiful profit and loss statement that um, enables you and your tax advisor to make some really important decisions on uh, things that you can do to both minimize taxes and to, you know, pay whatever uh, the estimated tax is going to be. Mm -hmm. So as we take those steps in doing these areas, as as discussed in uh, being able to work with your tax advisor and audit proofing the business. So what, uh, more specific steps do you recommend ones take to really get this audit proofing process working in their favor? What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, so from, from the bookkeeping standpoint, um, the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to say this in, in a kind way, <laughs> but a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, people, mo- most of the 
clients I work with, they, they do not have any type of experience with bookkeeping or nor have they studied accounting or anything like that that would lend them to be um, able to keep their books competently. So, um, you know, it depends on what, what a person's budget is and what they're able to afford, but it's, it's highly recommended that if, you're, if you are going to try and do your own bookkeeping, maybe with the help of some software like QuickBooks, for example, um, that you do incorporate, um, you know, a cons- some consulting with that to review your books on a, on a fairly periodic basis, on a frequent periodic basis to make sure that everything's getting recorded correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this a lot with, with uh, you know, people coming to you. Um, I've seen it. I, I think every tax advisor uh, accounting professional out there has seen this where somebody has attempted to to track their books, their income and expenses for the year. And invariably they bring in something that is just kind of like it, it has just grown into a big mess. And oftentimes the business owner is aware of this because there's just different things that come, come across mm-hmm. um, throughout the year that you're just not sure how to record. And then what that can lead to is sometimes this, uh, you know, you kind of put put it on pause. And you're like, well, I don't know how to record this transaction. And so all of a sudden now you freeze up, you you stop doing anything and you mm-hmm. kind of keep telling yourself, well, I'm going to go and find somebody to help me with this. And then that just doesn't happen. And all of a sudden now nothing is, is getting done and, um, and possibly mistakes are being made. So it's, I think, you know, it's just going to be something that you have to accept as a necessity of being a business owner that you're going to have to at least um, partner with a um, tax and bookkeeping type professional, somebody who has expertise in those in those things mm-hmm. to, to help you um, understand how to do it. Maybe maybe they can help train you so that mm-hmm. you can do it yourself. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know. Different businesses offer different mm-hmm. types of packages, you know, depending mm-hmm. on what your budget is. Some people, they don't want to have anything to do. Some business owners don't want anything to do with trying to keep track of that, their, their books. They, mm-hmm. they want to just hand that off to someone else and say, look, I'll focus on the things I'm good at. You focus mm-hmm. on the things you're good at. I'll, I'll pay you to take care of that. Mm-hmm. And and um, it can really help actually save a lot of money, which, by the way, that cost is generally a tax-deductible expense. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that is a challenge that many new businesses and business owners have is, is keeping up their books because, as you've mentioned, I get profit and loss statements in during the year and some that I've attempted to help through the years and trying to fix it. I always got to go through and look at it and say, okay, well, you got this in here. Cause one of the biggies, and you've probably seen this that comes on because they don't know what else to do with it. And that's understandable. And the system just kind of assigns it. There is loan payments end up on the profit and loss. And it's the process of going through and helping to educate them on that, which is when I try to work with individuals and trying to help them to set up these systems, these are just little areas I, I try to explain to them and say, okay, you have, this is what goes on your profit and loss. This is what goes over here and then get them set up from the start or if they've already set up, get it fixed so that everything does go in the correct place. Because when they, you use some do it yourself software and you start putting these things in, you look at your profit and loss, it, 
it can be very misleading, especially when it comes to tax time. And you think you only made X amount of money. Well, that's because you got $20,000 in loan payments that are not an expense. And I got to go through and explain that to them. Exactly. And, and so then they like, oh, then they, then, then, they, then they get that look, oh, am I gonna, how much am I going to owe now? Well, well, let's get finished and let's figure it out. But I just want to be upfront and tell you this is, this is what we got to do, which is the challenge that many have, which is why having a consultant, which is one of the areas that we work with, is to try to help people to do these, to set these up correctly. And, and as you mentioned, the level of service. I mean, like I do various levels of service according to what, what people want. Some, it's pretty, pretty hands-off, just kind of look, make sure everything's right. And others, it's like do everything. <laughs> yeah. One of the th- one of the things um, I, I think is important too is there could be expenses that are not getting tracked, and mm-hmm. um, one of one of the concepts that's important to understand as a business owner is to separate your uh, your business. You really, mm-hmm. it's always advisable, I think, to have two two bank accounts mm-hmm. minimum. Okay, one that's a dedicated. Mm-hmm business account and one that's a dedicated mm-hmm. personal account and do not commingle those funds if you can at all avoid that which means commingling basically means that you're you're using your business account for personal mm-hmm. expense items mm-hmm. and that or or vice versa using your personal account for business items um, by keeping two separate accounts in and of itself just by the virtue of doing that you you are helping to separate um, the, the business from the personal, mm-hmm. uh, this plays into this whole concept of trying to audit proof your business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you operate a business and potentially have a loss for the year, I, that often triggers an audit so that the IRS may want to look at that and say, well, did you really have a loss? Are you really in business? Do you really have a mm-hmm. business intention? And, um, and, and just by virtue of having a business, a dedicated business account and not commingling, that can go a long way toward demonstrating that you do have a uh, profit motive with your business, mm-hmm. even though you might have had a loss in a, in a given year. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that it helps to do if, is to also try and run all of your business expenses through that business account, through that dedicated account. And this, this, it doesn't matter what, what kind of a structure you have. Um, I mean, if you're a sole proprietor, for example, you're not required to do what I'm saying, but it's highly, highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Other types of entity structures do require, you, you cannot be mm-hmm. commingling personal and business funds. Um, that could potentially destroy any of the tax and or legal benefits uh, that are derived from certain types of entity structures. So not only is this advisable, in many cases, it's required. So it's, it's just, it's something uh, I I may sound a little bit um, passionate about it only because Mm -hmm. I've seen it just way too often where, Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, and I get it. I get that, um, you know, people are just trying to, you know, sometimes they're just trying to survive and sometimes mm-hmm. they got to, they have to, uh, they don't have enough money in their business account mm-hmm. to cover certain expenses. Well, you know, you can always loan the business some money, transfer some funds from your personal account to the business mm-hmm. account to cover those expenses. And when, when you're able to pay yourself back, you know, mm-hmm. 
but, but do it in a kind of a structured way. And then, of course, coming back to the bookkeeping aspect of it, um, your bookkeeper can help you with recording those types of things properly. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you transfer funds in, that's not income. Right. If mm-hmm. you're loaning, exactly. if you're loaning your business money, that's not income to mm-hmm. your business, and vice versa. If the business is paying off a loan, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, that is not a deduction. It's just mm-hmm. because it was. Ne- it's neither income mm-hmm. nor an expense from a tax standpoint. And, and there's there's some other common mistakes mm-hmm. I see as well. Treating uh, characterizing loan payments as expenses is one. Mm-hmm. Um, characterizing an owner draw as an mm-hmm. expense. Mm-hmm. Also, generally yes. a common mistake that I see, um, not um, not tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 I see problems both on the profit and loss statement, mm-hmm. which is you know the the one of the very common uh, financial statements. But the other common one that a lot of people don't pay too much attention to is the balance sheet, mm-hmm. and that's really where the rubber hits the road when it comes to. You know, if a bank, if you're looking for financing, if you're seeking any type of financing, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes nowadays they're asking not just for a profit and loss statement, they're also asking for a balance sheet. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons they're asking for that is because they know that's where problems arise is, mm-hmm. is in the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And so things like characterizing, you know, a loan payment, setting up your liability accounts, um, mm-hmm. you know, recording assets, mm-hmm. things of that nature, all of those things need to be done. Yeah. And oftentimes, unless, like I said, unless you have a background in these types of things, you're mm-hmm. probably, um, you know, even even though the software may <laughs> convince you or make you think that you're able to do this as a do-it-yourself, it's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to mm-hmm. there's probably going to be mistakes made. Oh yes, definitely, Peter. And again, I thank you so much for pointing out these mistakes. It's been a great session today. You've explained so much, made so many things clear. You've covered a broad area of information. It's really great to get across these areas all within the time that we have here to be able to do this. I thank you so much. We've just run out of time here. Boy, where does the time go? Where does it go there? So I do want to thank everyone for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor today. Now, anything that comes up today, you're always welcome to email me about here at success at cashtracksfinancial.com. It's 844-394-4287. You can also schedule your free mutual exploration session is to see if we can help you in some of these areas that we discussed today, entity selection, audit proofing your business, setting up your accounting, which is I just helped a, a new client. I'm working with a new client right now and getting all that set up correctly because they were trying some do-it-yourself software and We found some things that needed to be adjusted and we're working on that. And that's what we do. And that's uh, what Peter does as well there. So yeah, it's, you can be scheduled cashtracksfinancial.com. And we are so grateful for all of our listeners today and hope to see you again next week, always 9 a.m. Pacific on Thursdays. Again, thanks for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. And this is the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.